from the book of 2 Samuel. And David became greater and greater, for the Lord, the God of hosts, was with him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, If you've been with us the last few weeks, you'll know that we are in a sermon series uh, on the life of David. And as we come to our text today, we come to a triumphant point because, well, he did it. This entire time we've been looking at his journey to the throne at becoming king, and in our text, David is finally king over all of Israel. And again, if you've been following the story, you'll know that it has been an incredibly long and difficult and tortuous route. Uh, Josephus, the ancient historian, puts his anointing as a boy at the age of 10. He didn't become king over part of the kingdom until he was 30. And he didn't become king over the full kingdom until, what, 37? That's a long time to wait. That's a bit of a nightmare, actually. And you know this nightmare, right? Have you ever had this one where you're trying to get somewhere or do something, but things continually pile up in front of you, and you can never actually get to the place that you want to go? Uh, I'll have a confession to make. I probably shouldn't say this, but I have those about vesting for church. True story. Every single time, I'm like, where's everything? I'm not going to be able to get there on time. Um, and, and we all have those in our different capacities. Well, for David, that was, that was what, I mean, it must have felt like this enormous, long, winding road. I mean, think about it. David had been exiled. He had been on the run. He had been fighting in a foreign land as a mercenary. But then we get to last week, and it looks like his path to the, to the throne was cleared. Do you all remember last week we talked about the death of uh, Saul and Jonathan, the king and heir apparent? And you would think, Time for David to become king. We did it. We made it. It should have settled the matter for David, a clear shot to the throne, but it didn't. And that's what I want us to be looking at this morning and thinking about, is is when when we have these desires, these dreams, these things that we believe God has promised us, that it's not always a clear shot to get to them. It's not always a path from point A to point B directly. You know, in David's life, We saw this last week. Saul and Jonathan were killed, and David was made king, but only a a small part of the southern kingdom because Saul had another son, Ishbosheth. And his other son was put on the throne of the north. Now, there's a lot of political intrigue. I'm not going to go into the whole history. If you want to know it, um, the adult forum is a really good place to come. We do that at 9 o'clock before here, and you all got the full 40 minutes. Um, I promised a 20-minute sermon this week, so we don't have time for the history, but I'm going to give you the bullet points. Suffice it to say that it took a civil war, it took an unauthorized assassination, and it took a mutinous general to make David king over all Israel. And you know, given that David becoming king was God's plan, you might wonder, God, was there not a cleaner, shorter route? Right? Like, why not just have David anointed as king when he's young? Maybe have Saul have an accident. Um, You know, maybe he's sitting on a windowsill or something. I don't know. Use your imagination. You know, why not have something else happen so that David could just go straight to the throne? But as we see in the story, and what I want us to look at this morning is that God's ways are not our ways, And his thoughts are not our thoughts. 
And that while we might have a plan for ourselves, God often has something much bigger for us to be a part of. And so I've got three points for today. Three points that I want to pull out of not only this story of David, but but the greater story. The first is uh, waiting on the Lord. Uh, Point two is God's grand narrative. And then point three is seeing our story in light of God's story. So point one, waiting on the Lord. Uh, My wife and I are going out of town later today uh, because it's my brother-in-law's birthday on the 4th of July at all times. And, um, and, but we decided something with the boys very recently. We've decided that any time we're going to take them out of town or on vacation or for an outing, it has got to be a last-minute surprise. It has to be. It's the only way to make it work. And again, all the parents are laughing. You understand what I'm about to say. You know, because if I tell them with enough advanced time that we're going to go on a trip, they're bouncing up and down at the door to the garage saying, are we leaving yet? Are we leaving yet? Are we leaving yet? And as a parent, you know, never that simple, is it? We still have to pack snacks, pack lunches, pack waters, changes of clothes, sunscreen. If we're going to a park, we have to order tickets and confirm our spots. We've got to check the weather. We've got to get everything loaded in the car. You know, we've got to make sure everything's turned off and the house is set to leave. Right? There's a million things going on. But that's not the way that the boys think, is it? It's, you know, I'm, I'm here. I want to be there. This is the way to go. They can't see that there's a lot of things that have to happen behind the scenes. And the reality is, as adults, I don't know if we really grow out of that. You know, it's really difficult for us to wait for, for, you know, even bigger life events, like, say, a promotion or even finding your spouse or that career you're gunning for or a raise, right? Bigger life events, it can be really hard to wait for those. But it's even hard for us to wait for small things. You ever choose the wrong line at Publix? You know, and the other one behind, the one next to you is just speeding along, and you're just like, oh, Lord, Lord, help me. Um, you know, it's really difficult for us to wait to things once we have an objective in mind. That's just how our minds work, isn't it? I'm at point A, I want to get to point B, now somebody make it so. And what can happen is we can become so consumed with this hypothetical future we're trying to aim for that we miss what's happening all around us. You know, we can even miss and I think this happens with a lot of us, we can miss the work that God is doing in the present that's laying the foundation and the groundwork for whatever he's going to bring us to in the future. I mean, look at David, right? He was anointed young, and yes, he had this early victory over Goliath that brought him some some fame, but it's really hard to imagine a 10-year-old or a 15-year-old stepping in ready to lead a nation of Israel as king. There had to have some, you know, there's some groundwork that needed to be done there, some development. I mean, look at what David gained in the interim of this long wait that he had. He learned what it was to lead under difficult circumstances. He was on the run. He had to serve as a mercenary in a foreign country. And while he was a mercenary with the Philistines, by the way, and he was learning how to be a leader, he also learned about Philistine, the Philistines' culture and their tactics, didn't he? He learned about how they fought and how they thought. And all of this learning was going to serve him later because guess who he mostly fought when he was the king of Israel? The Philistines. So there was some other groundwork and preparation happening there. You know, or go back a second with me. 
Everything that we're talking about around David's life is like maybe 1100 um, BC. But I want you to I want you to take a step back here, pause that, and go back 300 years with me for a second. And we're going to see how God lays the groundwork even or the, the groundwork even greater, lays the foundation even greater, and uses periods and times of wait. Do you remember the Israelites wandering around the desert? How long was that about? 40 years, right? Wandering around the desert. Do you know that that journey, if there had been a straight shot, would have taken them 11 days? But they weren't ready. They weren't ready. They showed that they weren't ready when they went into the land and they were fearful and didn't trust God that he would, he would provide and take care of them. And the entire nation of Israel was transformed from being recent fearful um, slaves and to being people that could rely and trust God and be prepared to be the conquerors that he had called them to be. That 40 years was a time of training and of preparation and of shaping them from a slave nation into a fearless nation of priests that could live out God's promises. And so I'd encourage you, every single one of us in this room has been in a period of waiting on the Lord, of having something that we're shooting for or desiring or wanting. But I'd encourage you to remember all throughout Scripture we see the story of God and that God does not delay without a purpose, but instead He is weaving this grand narrative together. He's weaving this grand story together. And in our lives might just be one thread that's being interwoven into this entire beautiful tapestry. And there are portions that He has written in history that are far outside of our own small part. Which brings us to our second point, God's grand narrative. What's this, what's this giant story that he's painting? I mean, God is the author of all of history, right? Beginning, middle, and end. He wrote it. He put it together. Well, let's go back again to those Israelites who are wandering around the desert. They're wandering 40 years. They're formed to be conquerors. They go out into the land that God has promised them. They start to drive out the Canaanites before them as they were commanded to do. Joshua is leading the charge. You know, uh, Canaanite tribes are falling before them, but then they get to this impenetrable city. They get to the city that can't be beat. City on a hill, city on a mesa, right? The Jebusites, which is a Canaanite tribe, and they are too strong for them. And so they have to go around, and the work of God remains unfinished. Well, until David. You see, when David finally became king of all Israel and he, he united the north and the southern kingdoms, he needed to find a city that was in between the two of them. He needed to find a city that was just north up into the kingdom of Israel so, that he, so they didn't feel like he had favoritism to the southern kingdom. But he also needed to find a city that was close enough to the south so that they didn't feel abandoned by him. And he needed to find a city that was well fortified so that it could serve as the capital. What city do you think that was? We know it is Jerusalem. Then it was the city of David. And guess what people were inhabiting that city? The last of the Canaanite tribes, the Jebusites. You see, What's incredible when we look at God's grand picture, the way that he weaves these things together, 
is that he has purposes and plans. And in David's life, what you see is not only how everything worked together for his kingship, but how even his kingship worked together for the whole history of Israel. He finished what was started 300 years ago in uniting the kingdom. And you see all of these pieces start falling into place when you see God's hand at work. You see, one of the things that we see over and over again in Scripture is that history isn't just some random series of events that we retroactively apply meaning to. You know, there's a lot in our culture, you probably heard about this, of crafting a narrative, right? You're familiar with that concept, of trying to write a story because narratives are incredibly powerful things that draw people into them. And we have competing narratives all the time based on what people want to, um, to have us excited about or upset about or shape us into, right? One example of, of these narratives and the powerful way that they're being used is you're familiar with the difference between perhaps the 1619 Project and the 1776 Project. You all familiar with this? Yes? Different narratives that, are, that, are, that have fundamentally different presuppositions about the history of our country and our nation. One of which says um, that, our, that the reason we fought the Revolutionary War was so that we could maintain the practice of slavery. And one of them that says that we fought our war for liberty and justice for all, but we weren't able and we didn't realize how to live into those ideals until a lot more blood had been shed and a lot more time had passed. Totally different ways of constructing things. Well, as Christians, it's incredibly important for us to maintain this grand narrative that we see in Scripture of God working out His purposes in history and to become attached to that narrative. You see, here's another example of God's grand plan at work. From the moment, and this is the big story, right? You all familiar with the big picture? From the moment sin entered the world, God's plan was to send His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for sins. Well, when? Why did that take thousands of years? Well, maybe He should send His Son for the first time in history, that there were roads connecting the greater part of the world. Maybe he should send his son in a time of relative peace so that those, worlds could, those roads could be traveled. And maybe he should send his son, his son at a time of disruption in the heart of Jerusalem so that people who followed him would be scattered into the far reaches of the empire. You know, what's astounding about God's narrative and his timing is he, he, he always chooses the exact perfect moment. Even atheistic historian, atheist historians look at this and they say there was not any other time for Christianity to spread as it did than that one particular moment in history. Yet again, we see God's grand plan and His narrative at work. Now, don't get me wrong, something I think that we're all waiting for is the Lord's return, right? Let's set this world to rights. Two thousand years is a long time to wait. What are you doing, Lord? Where are you? You know, but the reality is, is Scripture even gives us this assurance, right? In 2 Peter, the Lord is not slow to fulfill His promises, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. See, in everything God does, He really does have a beginning and an end in mind. And so, if we got this grand narrative, right? God's the author of history. We have all of these things happening. Well, where does that leave us? Where does that leave you and me? 
You know, I think, I think there's a fundamental mistake that we can make when we approach Christianity is that we believe that God should somehow be a part of our story. God should be a part of our personal fulfillment, our personal satisfaction, our self-actualization. God's just one of those pieces that helps make me, me. But we have that exactly reversed, don't we? God isn't just a part of our story. We are a part of his story. And he utilizes us in bringing this and weaving this together. But it can be difficult to, to remember that. So that brings us to our third and final point. How do we see our story in light of God's story? Well, if you're anything like me and you are, you have daily demands. You've got hectic schedules. You've got, you know, whatever the life that you're trying to build for yourself, whatever the story that you are self-authoring, and it can be really difficult to step back and look at your life in the context of this grand narrative because we can't even see how all the pieces fit together. And because it can be so difficult to see the work that God is doing, it can be really hard to remember that the work that God does on this grand, on this grand scale is through people like you and like me. David was the forgotten son of a shepherd. Mary was a poor girl of little account. Peter was a fisherman. And yet most of the work that God has done has been through people that he has chosen. Most of the saints that God used to shape the world were seemingly insignificant. Many, like Augustine, had a misspent youth. Or David had long years and seemingly little to show for it. But each of them was called by God to act. And what made them a part of God's grand narrative in such a significant way, and catch this if you catch nothing else. They answered the call. They said yes. When God called them to stand up and to be accounted, they said yes. And you know, and what's so incredible is that at members of Christ Church, this call falls to all of us. Each one of us has a call by God to stand up and be counted. And how we respond to that call has everything to do with our role in God's grand narrative. Paul wrote this to the church in Ephesus. He said, you know, we are God's workmanship. We were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And then catch this. This is, this is astounding to me. Which God prepared for us beforehand for us to walk in them. If that's not an incredible call, that God has set before our paths these things that we can walk in to serve his purposes, I don't know what is. And so it's incumbent on us to look at our lives in the context of God's great story and to see how we can step up and answer that call, to see how we can answer him when he moves us to act, to give us the confidence to wait patiently on him when he's just forming us or laying the groundwork before us to walk in. And then to walk faithfully with him, trusting that he is going to work out all things for our eternal good and for his glory. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the confidence that we can have that you are working all things, God, not just for our good, but more importantly for your glory, that you are writing history 
that you are the author of all reality and that you call us to join you in that work. That you have created us for good works for us to walk in. God, I pray that you would give us eyes to see the work that you are doing all around us. And God, even when we can't see any further than our own few feet, I pray that you would grant us the faith and trust that you are working out all things to your glorious end. In your Son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook.